Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles this morning, and I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And once you have turned there to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, just open your Bible, just hold that spot because I promise you, I'll get there shortly. One of my favorite miracles in the Bible is found in John chapter 11 where Jesus supernaturally and miraculously raises Lazarus from the dead. Many of you remember the story how that Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, sent sent word to Jesus that their brother was sick. And not just sick, but he was so sick that he was near death. They knew that Jesus needed to get there quickly or their brother was going to die. When Jesus got the message, he waited two more days before he went to where Lazarus was. And by the time that he got to Lazarus, Lazarus was already dead. And his sisters were not happy. Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Shortly after that, Jesus would declare, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. And even though Lazarus may be dead, he will live again. And Jesus walks up to the tomb where Lazarus had been placed. And you know the story that those who were with Jesus were concerned because they said, Lord, he's been in that tomb now for four days. He stinks. So you might as well just get ready for it, Lord. When that stone is rolled back, everybody hold your nose because it ain't going to smell good. And Jesus As only Jesus can, he declares, Lazarus, come forth. And listen to what the Bible says here in John chapter 11, verse 44. It says that the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And look at what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The title of my message today, take off the grave clothes. Jesus knew that Lazarus was no longer a part of the dominion of death. Therefore, he no longer needed the clothes of death. He no longer needed those grave clothes. All those grave clothes were doing was binding him up and keeping him from being transferred into the dominion of life. All those grave clothes were doing was keeping him bound, keeping him afflicted, and not allowing him to be 
who he was to be or to do what God had called him to do. And when I began thinking about this story, when I began thinking about this particular passage of Scripture, I see that it is a picture of every one of us here this morning who are followers of Jesus Christ. Because listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. He said, once you, talking about us who are now believers, he said, once you were dead. We have, we have a tendency sometimes to forget that, don't we? But once we were dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. We were all before Christ. We were all dead like Lazarus. Our lives stunk. We were dead because of our trespasses and because of our sins. Dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, you used to. Hmm. Hold on just a minute. Let me say that again. Not still do. Somebody help me here. Say amen. Not still do, but he said, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. How many of you remember your life before Christ when you, you knew what was right? You, you really knew what the will of God was for your life in a sense, but you refused to do it. You refused. You would even hear the truth. You would even hear the word of God spoken, but you would refuse to obey God. That describes so many of us here this morning before Christ. But then notice what he says in verse 3. He said, all of us used to, not still do. That's tweetable. Used to not still do. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Whatever our heart desired, no matter how evil those desires were, we did whatever our heart desired. And then he goes to verses four and five. And I love this because this is where the transformation takes place. He says, but God who is so rich in mercy. That's gotta be one of my favorite descriptions of God right there. That God is rich in mercy. That is God, even though the wages of sin is death and every single one of us deserve to die, God did not give us what we deserved. God gave us what we needed, which was a savior to take care of our sin problems. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. Oh, aren't you thankful today for the love of God? Because even our life prior to Christ, God still had mercy on us and God still loved us. That even though we were dead, and let's not forget that, folks. Every single one of us, spiritually speaking, before we met Christ, we were dead. Dead in our trespasses. 
dead in our sins. And here's the bad news. We could not in and of ourselves do anything about it. So not only were we dead in our trespasses and without sins, we had no hope apart from God. And he said that even though we were dead because of our sins, notice what he did. He gave us life. Aren't you thankful today for the life of God? Says that he gave us life when? When he raised Christ from the dead. He said, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead. Exactly what he did for Lazarus in a physical sense, he has done and made possible for every one of us in this room here today in a spiritual sense to be raised from death in our trespasses and sins to life in God, life in the Holy Spirit. Amen? I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that has experienced that kind of a resurrection in your life today. That you have been spiritually resurrected. You have been spiritually made new. Amen. That's that's how Paul described it here in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. He said, therefore now, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new Everybody say new. He is a new creation. Listen, when you come to Christ, he doesn't just transform you into a new and improved you. He doesn't just renovate your life. No. He gives you a brand new life. And Paul describes it like this. He said, the old things have what? Passed away. We don't have anything to do with that anymore. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. You're not just a better person, you're a new person. Did you hear me? You're not just an improved person, you are a brand new person. And Paul says the old has passed away. Do you know how he says it in Colossians chapter 3? He said that you have got to put to death that old nature. You've got to put to death the old life. That's why he would say in Galatians 4, that's why he would say, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Even though I'm dead, I live. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And Christ lives through me. But notice what he says. He said, the old is past. The old has been crucified. The old has been put to death. And the new has come. And basically what Paul is saying to each and every one of us in this room here today is that what happened to Lazarus now has to happen to us. We have got to take off the grave clothes. There's too many believers that are still trying to live their life in Christ with the old grave clothes still on. He didn't say put on the new over the old. He said, kill the old, 
Get rid of it and put on the new. Here's how he says it, beginning in Ephesians 4. Now we're at the passage I ask you to turn to with me this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said, so I must tell you this. And he says, I must insist on it. He said, because the Lord agrees with me on this. He said, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live. No longer. Notice he doesn't say continue living like. He says, no longer are you to live like this. He said, no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, you need to understand the context in which he's using the word Gentiles here. Because many times in Scripture, Gentiles racially and ethnically just refers to anyone who is not a Jew. But, but in a spiritual sense, when Gentiles are used, it's talking about those who are ungodly. Those who are still pagans. All of those who are still unbelievers. All of those who are still like what we used to be. And, and so he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the pagans do, as the ungodly do, as the unbelievers do, in the futility of their minds. And here's what Paul is saying. He said, you are no longer to live like you used to live, and you're no longer to live like those who don't know God live, because you now think differently than they think. Their thinking leads nowhere because all they think about are temporary things. Thinking that the temporary is what's going to fulfill them. Thinking that the temporary is what's going to satisfy the desires of their heart. And as you've heard me say before, what they don't understand is that God has put eternity in their heart and, and, and that temporary things cannot satisfy a heart that God has put eternity in. Only eternal things can satisfy. And so because of that, those who are still pagans, those who are still without Christ, those who are still ungodly, they are futile in their thinking. Their thinking leads them nowhere. Because all they think about are temporary things. And Paul is saying, that's not how you are anymore. You don't think about temporary things. You, your, your hope is attached to eternal things. And so, so he says, no longer live like they do. No longer think like they. And I find it interesting here that the apostle Paul starts with thinking. Because that's what repentance is. The first step of being saved is repentance. A change of mind. A change in how you think. We don't think the way that we used to think. And we definitely don't continue to think the way the world thinks. Right? And, and so he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You can't live like that anymore because that's not who you are any longer. You don't live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And then he goes on in verse 18 and he says, they are darkened in their understanding. They're where you were in the dark, but you're no longer there. You're now in the light. So he says, you don't live anymore in the dark because he says they are darkened in their understanding. 
Now listen, that doesn't mean they're stupid. They have the wisdom of the world. They can be smart. They can pass all the tests and be in the highest of positions but still be in the dark as it relates to spiritual matters. That's why somebody can be smart, and I don't mean to be offensive, and stupid at the same time. Intelligent, maybe this is a better way to say it, a more Christian way to say it. Intelligent, but ignorant at the same time. They're in the dark. It, it would be like me going into a funeral home, into a morgue, and try to carry on a conversation with a dead person. It doesn't matter how loud I speak, and it doesn't matter how clear I speak, they can't hear me. They can't understand me. Why? Because they're dead. And people who are dead spiritually, it doesn't matter how loud you talk to them, it doesn't matter how clear you put it, they don't hear it. They don't get it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot hear and they cannot see. And he says that they are darkened in their understanding. Now understand, he's trying to let us know this is, this is not how we live anymore. And he says that they are separated from the life of God. What is it that separates us from God's sin? Separates us from God. You know what I discovered last week? Talking about some of the topics that I talked about, even though I read it directly from the Word of God, and it was not my opinion, even though it is my opinion, and it is fact, and it is the truth of God's Word, people don't like it when you tell them they're sinning. They don't. They know it's wrong. They know they shouldn't do it. Call it anything, but don't call it sin. I just call it what Jesus called it. We call it what God called it. It is sin. And sin is what separates us from the life of God. And notice what he says. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't know the truth. They really don't. And let me tell you why they're darkened, separated, and ignorant. It's because of the hardening of their hearts. They have heard the truth so many times, and they've had the Spirit of the Lord deal with them so many times, and they've resisted him and resisted him and resisted him and disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled until now their hearts are hardened, and as a result of their hearts being like a rock, they are darkened, they are separated from God, and they're living in ignorance because they refuse to receive the truth. The truth can't get in because of the hardness of their hearts. Hey, folks, I can remember this being me before Christ. That word hardening there doesn't just, doesn't just simply mean to be hard like a rock but it means to be hard to the point that it's lost feeling. Calloused. Lost 
It's, it's paralyzed. Doesn't feel anything. And that's why he goes on to the next verse and says, having lost all sensitivity. This is why people can sit in a service where there is undeniable activity of the Holy Spirit and never be moved by it. Never feel a thing. Can walk out of this building and one person can look at the other and say, wow. And the other one, what you talking about? I didn't feel anything. I thought that was just a dead, cold, dry experience. Because see, the more you deny the Lord, the more you resist him, the more you disobey and rebel against him, the harder your heart gets and the harder your heart gets, the more insensitive you become to the activity of the Holy Spirit and to the truth of God's word. And so notice, because they have lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. We talked about it last week. That now, every evil thing in their heart that their heart desires, they're doing it. And they're not staying in the closet to do it. They're coming right out in public because they now, because they have no sensitivity, they have no shame, they have no guilt, there is no conviction, they don't care what man thinks, they don't care what God thinks. All I care about is this is a desire that I have and I want this desire to be fulfilled. That's what happens when you continually reject the Lord and your heart becomes hard and insensitive to the things of the Lord. You don't care anymore. And then it goes on and says that they gave themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Going after things that they do not have a right to possess. It's what leads people to steal from their neighbors because they don't care a thing about their neighbors. All they care about is their neighbor has something I want and I don't care who I have to injure to get it. I don't care whose innocence I have to take. If I want it, I'm going after it. And I don't care who I have to trample over. I don't care who I have to stomp over. I don't care who I have to hurt in the process. They are motivated, they are driven by their greed, driven by their, sexu by, by their sexual and their sensual desires. Sounds like I'm preaching the same thing I preached last Sunday, doesn't it? But it's in a totally different context. Paul here is preaching to the church at Ephesus. He, he's preaching to people who used to be a part of the culture of Ephesus, which was the most wicked city at that particular time. And Paul said, I know you used to be a part of that culture. I know that a lot of places that you walk past every day, you need to hang, you used to hang out. You used to hang out at Wesley's. <laughs> and, and, and now I know that every time you drive by, you're tempted to want to stop and go in again. That's what Paul's, that's the kind of people that Paul is talking to. Because they've been brought out of darkness into light, but they are being tempted every day and being tried to be persuaded every day to come back into the darkness from which God had brought them out of. And Paul said, no, 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 that's not who you are anymore. 
You don't do those things anymore. You don't go to those places anymore. You don't think that way anymore. You don't talk that way anymore. You are to take off your grave clothes and be who God's called you to be. Amen. And then he goes to verse 20 and he says, but after describing the Gentiles, he said, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. In other words, that is not how you and I, who are in Christ, are supposed to live any longer. He said, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, now you have the truth. Now you know the truth. And because you know the truth, you have received the life of God. And now that you have received the life of God, you need to walk in the ways of righteousness. Oh, Jesus himself said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one can come to the Father except through me. Nobody can have that kind of life. Nobody can have that kind of experience apart from Jesus. And he said, and now that you've come to me, Paul said, now that you're in Christ, you don't live like you used to live. He said, you were retaught with regard to your former way of life to do what? Put it off. Put off the old self. Take off the grave clothes. You go to Acts chapter seven and they're stoning a man by the name of Stephen because of the gospel that he preached and the allegiance that he took to Christ. And it says that while they were stoning Stephen, they used this same Greek word, while they were stoning Stephen, it said that they took off their garments so that they could be more free to pick up the stones and throw them to fulfill their purpose of stoning Stephen. And so what Paul is saying here is, he's saying that you're gonna have to put off your old self so that you can now be free to be who God's called you to be and do what it is that God has called you to do. He said earlier, he said, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But he said, you cannot be who you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do as long as you still have those grave clothes on. So he said, put off your old self because he said that's corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then he says this, he said, be made new in the attitude of your mind. There's a step that we skip. Take off the old, put on the new. Oh, but hold on a minute. When you take off the old before you put on the new. Be made new in the attitude of your mind because you really can't put on something that you don't know what it is you're to put on. So he says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Here's what that means. It doesn't mean that you just need to have your, your mind renovated, think good thoughts. No, it means you now have the mind of Christ. And everything you do, every choice you make, you filter it through, not your mind, but the mind of Christ. It truly is, what would Jesus do? How would he live what choice would he make? How would he love? Everything filtered through the mind of Christ. 
And he said to be made new in the attitude. So he says, you put off the old self. You're made new in the attitude of your mind. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. That's how transformation takes place. By the renewing of your mind. Yes, it's true physically that we are what we eat, but spiritually we are what we think. And that's why we've got to think truth. That's why we've got to have the mind of Christ. Amen. And so we put off the old. We are made new in the attitude of our minds. And then he says, and put on. I'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. And put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, you take the grave clothes off and you put the grace clothes on. The clothes of righteousness and the clothes of holiness. That should be the garments that we are now wearing in our new life in Jesus Christ. I'm enjoying preaching this. I don't know if you're enjoying getting it. Because I believe if there's one thing that can change our nation, it's when Christians live like Christians. And Christians act like Christians. And Christians love like Christians. And we stop trying to be Christians living in our grave clothes. But we take our grave clothes off and we put on the clothes of righteousness and holiness. It's just another way of saying we need to be children of light. Amen. He said, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then notice what he does. He goes to meddling. <laughs> he starts to specifically mention sins that you need to get rid of. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, lying. Because evidently, some folks in the church, some Christians still had on, on the grave clothes of lying. They'd not taken those clothes off. Let me tell you something about lying. It stinks. It smells like death. You say, well, I don't lie. Hmm. You ever cheated on a test? You ever cheated on your income taxes? Pastor, you're, you're, you're done, you done started meddling now. You ever made a promise that you didn't fulfill? You ever exaggerated? Have you ever flattered somebody for your own selfish purposes to help you get to a position that you want and you say something to somebody flattering them that may not be true, but you say it for your own personal gain? You see, lying can, be, can, can show up in a lot of different ways. And he said, what we got to do is we got to put that off. You, you, you got to crucify it. In other words, he just said, stop doing it. Stop lying. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. And when he talks about a neighbor there, he don't mean just your next door neighbor. He means your other brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, for we are all members of one body. Now, let me ask you something. If I touch something hot... And my brain lies to me and tells me it's not hot, but it's cold. That's going to affect my whole body, isn't it? That's why I need the brain to communicate correctly to my body the truth. Because it affects my whole body. And listen, 
That's exactly what it does in a spiritual sense in the body of Christ. Lying affects the whole body. And then he goes on and he says this, not just put away falsehood, but he says, in your anger. So deal with your anger. He says it this way in another, in a translation, be angry, but sin not. So anger in itself, that is righteous anger, is is not a sin. It's your response to it. How many, how many of you have ever had any, have, have ever said this? You make me so mad. <laughs> Do you know what you just said? You just said that person made you who you are. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You cannot control your circumstances. You cannot control what people do to you, but you can control how you respond. And he says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. You know when the best time is to forgive? Now. Right now. Don't delay. Don't wait. You know when the best time is to reconcile? Right now. Stop putting it off. Stop sleeping, sweeping it under the rug. Stop thinking it's just going to go away. No, it's not. You got to deal with it and you've got to deal with it now. That's what he's telling us. And do not give the devil a foothold. And you remember in Genesis chapter four, you've heard me say this. In Genesis chapter four with Cain and Abel, when Cain was mad at God because he accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected his. And God told Cain, he said, Cain's sin crouches at the door. And he says that it it, it desires to have you. And he said, but you must master it. In other words, Cain, your response to your anger right now is so important because you will either move away from sin or you will move into sin. And what did his anger cause him to do? His anger, because he didn't deal with it, led to him murdering his brother. And you listen, Jesus taught this himself. Anger is the first step towards murder. That's why Jesus said that if you have anger in your heart, you have committed murder. Now put this together. He first off talks about lying, moves to anger that leads to murder. What is the devil? He is a liar and the father of lies. And he's saying, listen, when you lie, you're not acting like Jesus. You're acting like the devil. And when you're angry, you're not acting like Jesus. You're acting like the devil. And then notice the third thing he says, and anyone who has been stealing, what's the, what, what is the devil? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and Paul is trying to get these people to understand when you lie, when, you, when you're angered to the point of murder, and, and when you steal, you're not acting like Jesus, you're acting like the devil, who is a liar and the father of lies, who is a murderer, and who is a thief. And he said, anyone who has been stealing, steal no longer. Again, I don't steal. Well, do you report all your income on your income taxes? Whoa. Do you pay back what you borrow? Because if you don't, that's stealing. So many examples. And this was rampant in the church in Ephesus. And and Paul is saying, listen, that's not who you are anymore. Stop it. Stop treating each other like that. He said, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. There's a thought. (laughs) 
Don't take what's not yours. Work for it and get it yourself. <laughs> but you must work. Doing something useful. Look at this. Doing something useful with your own hands. That means you're responsible for working to provide for you. Not somebody else's hands provide. Now, he's not talking about people who are handicapped and can't get a job. He's talking to these lazy bums who won't get a job and they're stealing from their neighbors and they're stealing from other people to provide for their needs. And Paul says, no, what you need is you need a job and you need a job where you're working at it with your own hands to provide for you and your family. That's how children of the light live. <laughs> Doing something useful with your own hands that they may, and look at this, this is, this is awesome that they may have something to share with those in need. So when you work and God blesses you, he wants you to take the excess that you have and bless others. We, we sometimes forget that this is the real purpose of work. Not just so we can provide for ourselves and our family, but so that we can share with those who are in need. And then he goes on and he says, don't let any unwholesome talk, and we're about to wrap this up, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I don't know what it is, but every week that I preach this on a Friday or a Saturday, preparing for Sunday, it's about 30 minutes. But when I get in here, all of a sudden it turns into 40 minutes. Holy Spirit just starts depositing and downloading things. But he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. None. None, but only what is helpful for the building, for, for building others up according to their needs. Do you know another way of saying that? According to what season they are in. If somebody's in a season where they're going through a divorce, the last thing they need is your condemnation. Something that's going to tear them down. And make them feel worse than they already do. In that season that they're going through, you need a word that's going to encourage them in that season. If somebody's having problem controlling their kids, the last thing they need from you in that season of their life is, is, is a word that's going to make them feel worse than they already do. In that season, you need to pray that the Holy Spirit will give you a word that will lift them up and that will encourage them. Something that is beneficial to those who listen because that's what children of the light do. They don't tear down with their words. They build up with their words. And let me tell you what scripture says, that there is a very close connection between the heart and the words that come out of our mouths. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 17, he said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if your heart has truly been transformed by the love of God, this kind of stuff will not come out of your mouth. If your heart has been transformed, your speech will be transformed. And you will speak words of life and words that build up and words that edify. Oh, amen. And then he goes on and he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit because all of this does. All that we've just talked about, it grieves the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he just wraps it up and he says, get rid, take off the grave clothes. You're not dead anymore. 
You're not in the dominion of darkness anymore. You're not in the dominion of death anymore. You're in the dominion of life now. Live like it. So he says, get rid of all bitterness. Everybody say all. All All bitterness. Those grudges have got to go. Refusing to reconcile, it has to go. Because bitterness leads to rage and anger. Anger is that smoldering within and rage is that outburst from without. And then he says it turns into brawling, fighting with your fist and and, and slander, fighting with your words. And then he says get rid of it along with every form of malice. That is the, the intention and the desire to do hurt and harm to other people. Get rid of it. They're grave clothes. They stink. And they have no place in the wardrobe of a child of God. Amen. Amen. Just one more scripture, Tanya, if you'll go ahead and begin to play. Matthew chapter 22. And I've never seen this parable in this light until this week as I was studying. But in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is sharing a parable about a king whose son is, whose son is getting married and they're having a wedding banquet. And so the king... <clears throat> gives an invitation because in that culture, if you had a child that was getting married, there were two invitations. The first one would go out as an invite and the second one would go out as, okay, things are prepared now, everybody come. And in this parable, Jesus said that the king gave the invitation, sent his servants out, gave the invitation. And then once the banquet feast was prepared, he gave the second invitation, okay, now, Everybody come. Now we know what this is a picture of. This is a picture of God the Father and the Son, the marriage, supper of the Lamb, or entering into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the invitation was given. Everybody come, and guess what? Nobody showed up. Everybody rejected the invitation. Some of them even took the messengers, the servants that were sent with the good news, with the gospel of inviting They tortured and they killed the messengers and the servants. And I'm telling you, we're headed there. We're already seeing it in parts of this this world where people are losing their lives because of the gospel they preach. And so God in his grace and God in his mercy, where there's normally just two invitations, God gives a third because he's a God of grace. And he's a God of mercy. He sent his messengers out and he said, okay, those that didn't come, they didn't deserve to be here. He said, now I want you to go into the highways. I want you to go into the hedges. He said, I want you to invite anybody that wants to come, to come. Now, don't you know that if you were out on the streets and all of a sudden you got that invitation and it was time for you to go right then, that that wouldn't give you time to go home and change your clothes. You You would have to come as you are. And the king knew that. And so you know what the king did? He supplied the wedding garments for them. But notice what happens. Matthew chapter 22, verse 11, it says that when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. He rejected the gracious gift of the king. This is a person who rejects the grace of God and thinks that in their own righteousness they can get into heaven. And in their own righteousness that they can have a relationship with God. 
He rejected the garments of righteousness and holiness. He rejected the garments of the king and tried to come in with his grave clothes on. It's basically what the parable is about. And Jesus noticed that he didn't have the proper clothes on. His friend, he asked, how is it that you're here without wedding clothes, without the proper attire? But the man had no reply. And so the scripture says, then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw them into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because there's only way, only one way to have a relationship with God. And it's by grace, through faith. You, you can't get in with your clothes on, your works on, your grave clothes on. There has to be a change, a transformation that takes place in your life where you take off the old and you put on the garments of righteousness and holiness. And then when you do that, there will come a day when you will stand before the Lord and he will say, well done. Welcome in. And some of you need to know this morning, listen to me. God has provided the way through Christ. There is no other way. He's provided his gracious gift I, I, I encourage you this morning, stop rejecting the gracious gift of the king, the gracious gift of the father. Stop trying to get in on your own works and your own merit. You got to die to yourself today and realize no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. You got to trust and put your faith in what Jesus did. You got to receive the gracious gift of the king. And that's what will cause the father to welcome you as he has us who have received him by grace to do the same for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room today. First of all, I just want to give an opportunity that if there's anybody here today who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you will make a decision today. It's your choice. It's your decision. The king can give the invitation. He can even provide the means and the gifts that you need. But you have to make the choice to receive by faith what he's provided for you. I wonder if there's one person in this room here today, maybe you've, maybe you've been in this position before where you've been given this opportunity and you've rejected. Maybe you've heard these kinds of messages before where the truth of God's word was preached and you chose to reject and to disobey the word of the Lord. But today, I believe can be a different day. Today, you can make the right choice. Today, you can make the right decision. And if that's you, would you just lift up your hand if you would say, I'm ready to change my clothes today. I'm ready to take off the grave clothes and I'm ready to put on the grace clothes. Is there anybody here this morning who would say that? Amen. God bless you, honey. I see you. Bless you. 
I'm going to ask everybody in the room, if you would, please, to stand with me right now. Two or three hands just went up. And in just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. A prayer of salvation. But I also want to say this this morning to every believer in this house. You are not who you used to be. So stop living like you used to live. Get rid of the grave clothes. There has to be intentionality on your part to take those things off, to crucify, to put those things to death. You can't put on the new nature over the old nature. The old nature has to die, has to be done away with. And then the new nature put on. So those of you who don't know Jesus this morning, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you left heaven and came here to this earth and you faced everything that I would face and you were tempted in every way that I was tempted yet you never gave in to the temptation you never sinned but you lived a perfect sinless life and Jesus thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you, Jesus, that even after being put in a tomb, that three days later, you rose again. And now say this, say, I believe, Jesus, that you are alive today and that you are seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. and that you've been praying for me. And today, Jesus, your prayer for the salvation of my soul has been answered. Hallelujah. I come to you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's thank God for those that have prayed that prayer this morning. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God, I look forward to personally meeting you.